and welcome to episode three of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. Today we're talking about season one, episode three, Marty's First Date. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow, and joining me to talk about this episode is a good friend of mine. Uh, please welcome voice actor and comedian Will Haza. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Will? I'm pretty good. Just hiding out here in my little, my little corner of the world. Yeah, you have a very professional setup over there. I mean, because um, you are a professional voice actor, right? That's right. Yeah, I do animation, and I've done some commercial work before, but mostly now I'm focusing on animated series. Amazing. So, have you done like half hour like animated cartoons? Like, so right now the cartoons I'm doing, I think, are like these little mini episodes, kind of like how SpongeBob has these like. Uh, eight to 11 minute blocks and then they do two of them in a section. So the series I'm doing right now, is a bunch of those little uh, compartments. I'm actually doing two right now. And then the first one should be out in July, but technically I'm not allowed to say like what it is or who's doing it or whatever until they give me the go ahead. So, okay. Um, but let's just say that it's about a kid's show for little kids. Cool. Yeah. So I guess before we get into this episode, you want to just talk a little bit about maybe, like what voice acting is like, like how, uh, you know, we only get to see the finished product typically. So like, how does that sort of work? Like when a, when a voice actor gets called in, do you typically see the full script or do you only see your part? So it really depends, but for the most part, you only see your part. Like I have something here that I was actually sent this week by my coach. So this is not for anything that I'm doing, but they basically have like a picture of the character, a little breakdown as to like who they are. And, and then you just get a page of lines and it's just like your lines. So it'll be like, you know, uh, five or six lines that the character has to show, you know, um, and in this particular case, each, sometimes they'll give you a little short scene, but a lot of times what I've seen is like, they'll give you a bunch of different things from different points in the script. And you've got to just sort of like interpret everything that's happening in that world and react to it as if you're like living it and sort of do each setup and have those in-between moments where you're kind of living in it and not just, you know, doing the lines that are there. Um, so that's pretty much my experience that I've found is for the most part, they just give you your lines. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you also don't have like another actor to like react to or act with. You're kind of just on your own. Yeah, for the auditions. Now, for the show, I've done group records for shows before where it's like me and maybe three other actors in a booth that we all each have our little partitions, but we're all looking at each other and doing, you know, a group record. But for the most part, it's usually like you in a booth and then, you know, a producer and maybe a director and some a couple other people, the engineer on the other side. Uh, but that's it. And no other actors, you're just doing your parts. And, um, recently it's basically just been like this where, you know, they dial in on zoom or source connect and you see, you know, the other people on the screen, but you're sort of just doing your stuff and they're just giving, sometimes they'll give you a lead in and they'll give you the line before or whatever, but it's really not like the whole scene. You're really just sort of focusing on what you got to do to tell that part of the story. Wow. That's interesting. D does that make it harder to give a good performance? Um, I don't necessarily think so. I think like it's just a different mode of doing it, you know, cause like a lot of times from stage, I'm used to doing playing off of the other person and you kind of just got to learn to like imagine that just like 
give that uh, the gravity it deserves, even though there's nothing there, and just sort of let your imagination take over and hopefully, you know, create those moments without having to 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 rely on the, that stimulus. You kind of just gotta like play in imagination land. So that's really what it is. Is it's more like I always hear that people saying, "Oh, it's the world's biggest sandbox" or whatever, and that's kind of true. You're just kind of sitting there playing these imagination games, and if you're lucky, there's someone else. But for the most part, it's just like this, where you know you just got your lines and. You know, yeah, no, yeah, that's so interesting to think about. Like, yeah, when you think about a voice actor doing a cartoon, yeah, they, yeah, maybe they know what the character looks like, but they don't really know what the scene is going to look like, or uh, they might not know what how their uh, their co star in the scene is going to react, or something like that. It seems. I mean, when we're, when we're doing the show, I have the whole script, so I can read the oh, whole scene. But just for the auditions, it's just like just you. Uh, but even for games, like video games, a lot of times they just give you your stuff, and you're like, okay, well, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe that's why some like early video games had such legendarily bad voice acting. Well, also in the early video games, they would just be like, hey, Steve, or whoever's like sitting there in the office where they're animating. Oh. <laughs> and they would get those people. But as the budgets have increased, they've started to get, you know, more stars and putting them in there. Like um, John DiMaggio, who plays Bender on Futurama and Jake on Adventure Time. He's in, I think he's in Call of Duty as one of the soldiers. And, you know, there, there's these bigger actors who have been kind of like out there being known. And now they're doing those jobs as opposed to it just being like Joe from accounting or whatever. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like I, I just finished uh death stranding on PS4, which yeah. um, has a lot of celebrities <laughs> in it. Like, um, like actually Conan O'Brien is in the game. He has a little cameo. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's cool. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but also what's cool about that game is that all of the actors, uh, get like a little on-screen credit when their um, character is introduced. Like you see their character name and then the actor name underneath it. Because uh, I think Hideo Kojima, the director and creator of that game, is such a fanboy. He loves to, you know, give people their credit. One thing I loved about that game, or not so much the game, but the marketing, they had a Rick and Morty ad. Where oh, that's right. They had I that see. baby in the jar, you know. <laughs> Gotta eat the baby, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, very fun game too. I definitely recommend it. Um, but cool. So why don't we get into this episode? So sure. it is, um, season one, episode three, Marty's first date. So just to give the synopsis here, Marty invites his father, Jay, to career day at his school where Marty falls for a Cuban girl named Carmen, who is later revealed to be the granddaughter of Fidel Castro. Um, so we get, our usual opening gag with the opening titles. Uh, we get our phone the call. The phone call. So the interesting thing about that phone call, uh, it goes, hello, Jay, it's Gene Shalit, you know? And he's talking about having a bad hair day. And he's like, if you don't believe me, look outside the window. Fun fact, that's actually Gene Shalit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this show definitely would have some celebrities play themselves. Like in a uh, episode coming up, we have Geraldo Rivera playing himself. That's true, yeah. Um, which is interesting. If you listen to the end credits, there, like Jay gives that little disclaimer uh, where sometimes he says, all celebrity voices are impersonated. No celebrities were harmed in the making of this episode. Uh, but in episodes like this, if you listen, he says, some celebrity voices are impersonated. 
Because yeah. obviously, yeah, they used the actual Gene Shalit, or sometimes they used the actual celebrity. And a lot of times, like uh, another celebrity I loved in this episode is there's a point where uh, Jay takes his son, Marty, and they go to the movie theater and they're watching that what he thinks is the Red Balloon, right? Yeah. And it turns out to be Red Balloon 2, Revenge of the Red Balloon. Right. And I love it because they have a part with Alan Rickman as like the, the guy from, uh, from Die Hard as kind of like a Hans Gruber character. Right. And uh, I remember- so was he, that, that wasn't actually Alan Rickman, was it? No, no. I think, I mean, I'm not sure. I think it's Maurice LaMarche. Because okay. Maurice LaMarche also does um, Orson Welles on- um, Yeah, he does a this. ton of voices on this show. Yes, and I think that's him. And I, I love the gag because he just goes, um, One more step and the red balloon becomes the dead balloon. And then the little kid like lets it go and the balloon flies away and he's like, I could have not foreseen this. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah, great, uh, great gag. Um, uh, but just to backtrack, as this episode begins, uh, Jay is picking up his son Marty from his ex-wife Ardith's apartment. Um, when we get that great visual <laughs> gag where she sees Jay through the little fisheye lens and he looks like a little, like a, like a bowling pin sort of. And then she opens the door and he still looks like that. Um, <laughs> that was great. Uh, I love her disdain for, for Jay. Like just why? <laughs> but yeah. She's always just hates him. She just hates him. Yeah. She's She's a pretty one-note character. I think the show kind of lets Ardith drop off um, as as it progresses. But, like, yeah, they kind of just do as much as they can with a very one-note character. Um, I also love the the flashback we get of how Ardith and Jay met, where I guess Ardith was a nurse <laughs> and, and Jay was in, like, a full body cast. And she's like, I can't believe I fell in love with a man whose face I've never seen. And whose voice I've never heard. <laughs> and then it's like, I love how she just starts screaming once they unveil his face. Yeah. And then it cuts to her in present time, just in the window, screaming <laughs> as he drives away with his son. Oh, uh, yeah. Great stuff. So, um, so yeah, Jay is picking up Marty to go to uh, career day at his... High school. It is high school, right? Like, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was high school. It's the the yeah. United Nations school or something like that. Yeah, the United Nations private school teaching brotherhood and tolerance to those who can't afford it, as the <laughs> as the uh, sign outside tells us. And um, so I'm actually, <laughs> I'm what they call a president for life. <laughs> So I'm giving a, a, a little peek behind the curtains here. I've recorded these episodes a little bit out of order. I recorded a, a, another episode with uh, Ethan Stanislavski, who grew up in New York, and told me his girlfriend actually went to the United Nations school in New York. I had no idea it was a real thing. I thought they were just making fun of the fact that the United Nations no, are in school. New York, <laughs> or they're just making yeah, fun yeah. of prep schools in general. No, it's a real – and also they make fun of um, – Jay's school when he was growing up because then he has the flashback to career day or whatever it was and uh and then the other kids are mad about his review of the holiday pageant and then oh, the yes. little ballet girls how do you like this for a nutcracker suite and she starts <laughs> kicking him in the nuts and he's like ow 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 
Yeah, it's a, it says it's like a high school, fr- like from fame. It's it's a yeah, <laughs> it's a fame like performing arts school. Uh, yeah. Um, although I we sh- should also mention before they actually go into Marty's school, there's this little moment where they meet Woody Allen outside, <laughs> and uh, not the first time uh, they've joked about Woody Allen, but it's yeah, we get this moment where. He's like, but I thought it was prom. And then he like dances off. Um, Fun so fact, he's also played by um, Woody Allen is done by uh, John Lovitz. Yeah, you can kind of tell it's John Lovitz doing a Woody impression. Their voices do sound kind of similar. Um, but yeah, so that was sort of the show was hinting at the fact that they knew that, you know, Woody Allen has kind of creepy tendencies but they're kind of just playing it off like they don't seem to really come down hard on him so um we kind of see that i think a lot in this show where they joke about controversial topics but they don't really like take a side um they don't i don't know if they just want to not be offensive or just what the deal is there yeah i think it was a product of the time of just trying to skirt that middle of the road thing and not alienate any audience you know yeah i guess so i yeah like these days i kind of wish they maybe would have done that uh a little uh, more yeah Yeah. just a little bit you know like we know he's a creep you can kind of give him more than just a general uh gentle poking in the ribs maybe so yeah, it's career day at Marty's school. We get all these uh, dads uh, showing off their careers. You mentioned we get this sort of like Momar Gaddafi like dictator. Hi there, I'm Omar's daddy, and I am a president for life. Uh, we get a a German artist who draws all <laughs> over the chalkboard, and then Jay comes up and he erases the you know, the German artist masterpiece to write his name on the board. And then, and then the guy jumps out the window in, <laughs> in despair. I wrote that. That was one of my favorite gigs where it, he lands in the bushes, you know? Yeah. And then the guy who's doing the trimming is like, oh, my wake. <laughs> and then he, he jumps out off of the thing and lands into uh, a pile of uh, a cement that the guy is like, you know, putting out evenly. And the guy just goes, eh. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just a working class New Yorker doesn't give a crap. Um, But yeah, like um, a guy jumping out a window. That is a gag. I remember also from like the Simpsons. They would do that sometimes. Yeah. Whenever someone like receives bad news or they start panicking, they just jump out a window. They have one where the guy jumps out, smashes the window, and you hear him, uh, and then they say something like about a contradictory news, and then you just see him go, uh, oh, yeah, like, he back jumps back the in. Yeah. yeah. There's some really good cartoony gags like that in this episode. Like, we'll get to them later, but there's such good, like, old school Looney Tunes kind of style things in this episode. Yeah, like, for, for the most part, they try to make the show very realistic, but every now and then we get you know, a, a uh, very like, yeah, bigger than life, like very cartoony sort of gag. All right. So after career day uh, or after Jay makes a very, 
I think kind of bad impression on everyone else in the class. Uh, they don't seem very impressed with the fact that he's a film critic. Uh, we go to lunch. Uh, Jay and Marty go to the cafeteria, and that, of course, sets up a whole lot of gags for international students all eating together, so we get lots of different types of food and everything because basically a international food fight breaks out. Um, it starts off, I believe, between the Jewish kids and the Muslim kids. Classic, like... Fighting over the hummus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Classic, like, Israel versus Palestine conflict, I guess. Um, the French kids immediately surrender because I guess that was still a relevant joke in the 90s. <laughs> uh, joking about France surrendering during World War II. Um but it's also during this scene where kind of the the main plot kicks in where uh, Marty meets Carmen, uh, the uh, Cuban girl who he has a crush on and wants to ask her out but doesn't really have the guts to, to do so. Um, so Jay kind of psychs him up, encourages him, and then this food fight kind of gives them a moment where... Um, they basically kind of get stuck together under a, a table and uh, Marty first impresses Carmen by snatching a meatball out of the air. In his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, I learned it from my dad. Uh, oh, God. and then he has his little song. Give me your French fries. Give me your pot pies. Um, I'll take your large size. Soft serve ice cream. Mmm. Delicious. Jay is loving the food fight. He looks like he's very <laughs> comfortable there. Um, but yeah, so that finally gives, you know, Marty the opportunity he needs. Um, and that kind of brings act one to a close Though we get this great line to go out on where a kid just runs up to Jay and it's like, there's some kids trapped under a side of beef. And he's <laughs> like, just call me the jaws of life. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, definitely a lot of jokes in this episode, just like throughout the whole series about Jay's like weight and his voracious appetite. But it's like they keep finding new ways to to joke about that. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I like it because he's kind of I, I, from my memory. I think this is kind of like related to The Simpsons. It's somehow remember that. Yeah. It so it was right? it was created by Al Jean and Mike Reese, who were showrunners on The Simpsons. And yeah. uh, so they created this series and they also brought, um, you know, some of the, the same voice actors like Nancy Cartwright does Jay's That's sister. Right. Um, Alf Clausen does the music. So Lucy Taylor plays uh, his um, girlfriend's daughter, right? I believe. Lucy Taylor was oh. uh, Martin on Simpsons. She also played M Minnie Mouse for a long time. Oh, oh, who who plays? Sorry, who does Lucy Taylor play on the show? Uh, she played the daughter of Penny. Penny Tompkins. She played Penny. Oh, oh, okay. So that is actually not until season two where we get yeah. Alice. Yes, something I've I've talked about a lot on this show. How great of a character Alice is, and uh, um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's not until season two. I really can't wait until we get there because yeah, she's such an awesome character. But uh, so so Rusey Taylor plays Penny, the daughter, and and what else do we know her from? Uh, the Simpsons, she plays Martin 
And, oh, okay. Or she played Martin. She passed away recently. And oh. um, and she used to also play Minnie Mouse for a long time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. A lot of great voice actors on this show, not just from The Simpsons, because like, or no, well, Maurice LaMarche also did some Simpsons yeah. voices, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we also had, um, uh, who else was on this, Dan? Um, well, we get Christine Cavanaugh, who, um, uh, who was Chucky from uh, Rugrats and Dexter on Dexter's Lab. And um, she plays Marty, I believe. Yeah. And and Dan Castellaneta, you know who I'm talking about. Homer yeah. <laughs> plays Homer on this. Uh, oh, in the in the gag where, where the Simpsons briefly show up. Yeah, and Jay featured on an episode of The Simpsons. Right. Yes, we. I'm definitely going to cover that episode on this podcast at a future date. Um, yeah, and. Um, and actually, Tress McNeil shows up later in this season. She does uh, a number of episodes. That's true. So, yeah, just phenomenally talented person. Who, yeah. You know, I mean, her the fact that, you know, that she plays Dot on Animaniacs and then you hear some of her other voices like Mother on Futurama. It's like night and day. You know what I mean? That is like incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah, tons of awesome voice talent on this show. All right, so as Act 2 picks up, uh, Jay and Marty are playing baseball in the park, and we get kind of a, a great running gag from this episode where Jay says, uh, well, I remember my first date. <laughs> um, we get a few characters who flash back to their first dates throughout oh, this episode. Oh, man. Um, That's one but- of my favorite gags. I'll let you get to it. You're the host. Oh, yes. But (laughs) so just on (laughs) on Jay's first date, they're at like a disco and then Jay collapses and he's got (laughs) kidney stones. Most unusual in a 16 year old boy. Hear that, Sally? I'm very mature. And also another recurring thing. Jay's date looks like someone who's like way out of his league. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess he wasn't able to seal the deal with her, but he he repeatedly attracts these women that are just like, you know, they look way more attractive than uh, than you'd expect. Similar to Homer. Yeah. Homer and, you know, tons of like sitcom husbands, husbands. Yeah. Things like that. Just a, I don't know. The 90s just seemed so horny, like (laughs) like dudes were just, I don't know, going going crazy. All right, so we get Jay and Marty getting ready for uh, their date. Um, Jay kind of gives Marty a pep talk, talking about how women are different, gets into how they could smell fear, and he kind of, like, panics. He's like, I'm scared, son. Let's just stay home and watch a video. Don't leave your papa. Don't leave your papa. (laughs) Yeah, one of Jay's, like, flights of fancy where he just gets completely carried away. Um and they go to the Cuban embassy to pick up Carmen and we meet. Oh, there's a great there's a great little gag there. When they show up at the entrance, if you look at the sign for the Cuban embassy, it says hating America since 1959. I thought that was yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of jokes about 
the relationship between America and Cuba in this episode, which again, kind of going back to the Woody Allen thing, it seems like they're not taking a strong stance on one side or the other. They're just kind of joking about the status quo, Um, which again, I kind of feel like comedy, you know, you're supposed to take a stand. You're supposed to, um, what is it? Like unsettle the comfortable and comfort the unsettled or whatever the and have some type of strong perspective when you're yeah where you're coming from but i guess the the fact that we have we're gonna get to fidel castro in this episode and he's not just an out and out villain they kind of make him funny uh maybe that's that's them kind of taking a stand in their own way like maybe in the 90s that was a controversial thing to do yeah i think so much more than it would be now at least well actually i don't know i think people are pretty polarized now yeah well there was that brief window where we could visit cuba uh but then they undid that and well now i mean these days we can't visit anywhere I mean, yeah. even in our own country, <laughs> I can't even go like, you know, beyond the supermarket at this point. So no, yeah, we can't even go out to eat or go to a movie or anything. <sighs> I know. Uh, I, I, I know that, hindsight is 2020, you know, <laughs> I know that's definitely going to date this podcast. Like, I hope people in the future are listening to this and they are out and about in the world, enjoying life. They're out in public. They're not social distancing anymore so just yeah listen to this and and just remember that uh times weren't always so easy sometimes we had to stay inside and record a podcast (laughs) yeah it sure beats you know going outside and recording a podcast i'll tell you that much (laughs) yeah someone with a lawnmower going by yeah all those outdoors podcasts we used to enjoy there were a lot. I remember it's because the acoustics are really good outside. Well, actually, okay. Quick shout out to a, a podcast I am a fan of. It is called uh, Podcast But Outside, hosted by uh, <laughs> two comedians who basically just set up a table out in public somewhere and they just interview whoever comes and, and sits at their table with them out in public. Um, so they're probably kind of struggling right now <laughs> yeah that seems like that probably wouldn't do too well you probably wouldn't get a lot of people trying to come up and talk and the people who do come up and talk you probably don't want to talk to yeah uh but yeah shout out to podcast but outside uh, very funny show um all right so uh let's get back to uh this show so um oh he takes them first before when they picked him up to go to the date they went first to Vlada, right? Yeah, so they go to Lane Reich, the uh, restaurant that Jay is always going to. And yeah, so we get another scene with Vlada, who we haven't actually talked about on this show yet. He's he's shown up before, but yeah, we've never really discussed this character before. I love him. He's such a scumbag. Yeah, he's very, you know, definitely a, he feels like a satire of kind of more of like a Hollywood uh, kind of character who's very snobbish and looks down on anyone who he sees as being beneath him, which is everyone. Yeah. Um, So yeah, definitely like kind of an LA joke about like exclusive restaurants where celebrities eat, that sort of thing. (laughs) We've never had children in this restaurant before, except in the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, then we get this this very dark... He's Visual such a scumbag. Gag. And also just how, like, I love it sometimes, too, how, like, sometimes Jay would come in and he'd be like, oh, we got a really exclusive table for you. And he would just, like, shove him in a corner somewhere in the back. Yeah. Because <laughs> he didn't want people to see him. 
Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if they ever uh, reveal, like, where Vlada is from. Because he, he has, so. you know, this foreign accent and this kind of foreign name. But, like, yeah, they never really... They never do throughout the whole uh, series. It's just this is nondescript foreign guy. You yeah. Know? So I guess I was going to say, like, he's kind of the Apu of this show. But I guess maybe technically not if they never actually reveal where he's from. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, um, oh, God, do you know who does his voice offhand? I can't. I don't know offhand. Um, you know who, though? I think I think. Because I was going to mention Jeremy Hawk, the friend of Jay, who's like oh, yeah. the handsome. I think that's also Maurice Lamarche. I might be wrong, but I think uh, no, yes, him. that is he. He does. Um, he does Jeremy. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure who does Vlada. Let's find out. If I can God, know. I just googled the critic wiki. It talks about the character. Does not mention who does his uh, voice. Oh, apparently. Uh, Lane Riche is French for the rich donkey. Didn't know that. <laughs> Lane Riche. In, oh, Nick Jameson. Nick Jameson. Okay. Do not know him. Okay. Nick Jameson plays Vlada. Let's see here. If I can send you his page. Um, I've actually got it up here. Oh, cool. So he was in, he's done some video games. He's done Phineas and Ferb. Got squirrels in my pants. I don't know if you ever watched that. Um, Phine- oh, Phineas and Ferb. No, yeah. I, I haven't actually watched that. There's a great song in one of the episodes. I just love the song where it's about having squirrels in your pants. Tim and All right. Dance like that. S-I-M-P. Squirrels in my pants. I don't know. It's just a silly <laughs> song. I love All it. Right. We're actually going to get a character with squirrels in his pants uh, on this show yeah, later. Yeah, that's right. When uh, Jay runs the New York Marathon, um, <laughs> and there's someone running the marathon with a squirrel in his pants. Uh, all right. So, so yeah. Classic they, gag. <laughs> so they go to dinner at Vlada's. We briefly run into Jeremy, uh, who, when he finds out Carbon is Cuban, he talks about the time he played <laughs> Che Guevara. Onward, my bloody amigos. We're taking Havana. Good day in the life of Che Guevara. <laughs> That's what uh, it was. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Oh, and then when he talks about Avita Perone and it's Robin Williams. Oh. <laughs> All right. So after dinner, they go, they stand in line for a movie, which, yeah, they eventually end up seeing the red balloon, but we get a couple movie posters for other things that are playing at the theater. And I just love that there's family feud, the movie. Um, (laughs) I thought that was great. Uh, I always loved the show family feud, but the idea of a family feud movie is just ridiculous. It's like, how would that even work? (laughs) I'm sure they'd find a way. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Um, cool. So yeah. So then we get to the red balloon, Two, it turns out to be a sequel to the Red Balloon, uh, where yeah, we meet this very Hans Gruber like character who's basically supposed to be Alan Rickman from Die Hard. Oh, there's also the military scene too, where there's that general who's like, "We can't afford to have this Red Balloon fall into the wrong hands." And then there's like a Steven Seagal guy who like turns yeah. around on one of the chairs and he's like, 
I don't know who's more full of hot air, General. You or the balloon? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I love that. Those uh, those super charactery gags, you know, that they do in this show. Oh yeah, they love to make fun of, you know, uh, just different uh, acting tropes or like actor uh, uh, mannerisms. Like they've they've made fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot before this, and. They're going to again. Was it episode two that had a uh, bliddle, bliddle, bliddle? <laughs> that's actually the pilot episode we get that. Oh, that was as a pilot? Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I always remember that. Hava uh, Nagila, baby, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I, I wanted to back up just a little bit. Before the movie starts, they have like that, uh, that little like theater oh. animation where the uh, animated film strip comes out and then he gets he gets sucked up into the camera um and then the little baby film strip comes out like uh like, daddy daddy where are you uh i thought that was hilarious because i i remember going to theaters in the in the 90s and they would have those little animated things before the movie starts that are kind of just promos for the theater itself like every it's theater chain stuff they would have like the let's go to the lobby kind of guys yeah and-, and like every theater chain had their own version of it um so yeah that was fun that they <laughs> uh poked fun at that another thing that happens in the theater i wanted to point out so um marty and carmen are sitting together and marty tries to impress carmen by like blowing a note through a, a candy box and again, he says, I learned it from my dad. And then we see Jay also blowing through a candy box. So he's playing like a whole song. It's, it's like a like, whole a chorus of, yeah. of kazoos. <laughs> it's like a whole bunch of different kazoos going. Yeah. Like, it, Hava Nagila. Yeah, he's basically playing Hava Nagila. And we see there's a rabbi sitting in the audience and he is just loving it. <laughs> he is going crazy. Uh, yeah, just loves hearing of a Degila being played by Jay. I, I thought that was awesome. I love uh, this show kind of like, because Jay is adopted and he's adopted by a very waspy family. But I yeah. love how they always allude to him being Jewish in all these episodes. It's great. Yeah, though. Yeah, his family, definitely very waspish. They're basically, you know, the the Roosevelts. They're Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, but yeah, I guess they can't help but sort of code Jay as being Jewish. Well, like he's adopted. So of course he's got to be different from his adopted family. But, um, I guess, uh, are they just saying like, since he's a native New Yorker, he should be kind of, he should have some kind of Jewish characteristics or something. I don't really know. All right. So the movie turns out to be kind of a dud. Uh, Carmen asks to go home in the middle of it. Which, like, if you're a kid and you're walking out of a movie, it must have been really bad. Like, did, oh, did you ever yes. walk out of a movie? I did. And there was and there was a movie where I got my money back because I complained about it. And I oh, was a really? kid. You remember Wild Wild West? Yeah, the Will Smith movie. They refunded my money and apologized. We were like, we're sorry. We understand. Here's your money back. Wow. Okay. So, I've, I've never done that. Like, I've never, like, asked for my money back. Uh, but it's been... Uh, very rarely that I've walked out of a movie. I think, um, well, I remember one of my, I think, earliest, earliest movie going experiences. My dad took my brother and I to see, I want to say, uh, Never Ending Story 2. 
Oh, um, God. So whatever year that was, that was probably like, you know, 91 or something like that. And I think just because I was so young, I was like five or six, and my brother is two years younger than me, we were probably just so hyperactive that we um, we actually got up and went to another theater. We went to see White Fang, and the theater was like completely oh, nice. empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the theater was like completely empty, so we just like – we just like ran all around. I like went up to the screen and touched it um, because I had never done that before. Uh, yeah. It was 1990. Just so you know. Was never ending story two. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So I would have been five years old or maybe four years old if it was before my birthday. Um, so yeah, very, very young. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I've ever, walked out of a movie uh because even even if a movie is really bad i try to find some way to enjoy it like like um i watch a lot of movies that could be described as so bad they're good you know yeah because at least it's memorable and fun i feel like when a movie is just like not memorable at all where it's just kind of like meh those are worse because at least if it's so bad you can laugh at it there's some redemption in that you know yeah so uh, other than wild wild west any other like really really bad movies you've seen in in theaters uh oh yeah i mean that i've seen in theaters um god a lot after earth another will smith oh, classic wow Oof. Oof. <laughs> i actually stuck through that one but ooh. oh rough. i remember one year for my birthday, I saw The Crow 2. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, never, mm. And I never saw the first Crow movie. Still haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, no, that's yeah. the good one. That's the good one. <laughs> I know, right? Everyone says it's good. And I saw The Crow 2, which I remember being very, very bad. Uh, still didn't walk out cause I don't know, whatever. Um, probably the worst movie I saw this year in theaters was a documentary, uh, called no safe spaces, uh, hosted or starring slash hosted by Adam Carolla and Dennis Prager, huh. who basically this documentary is kind of building the case that, um, that, uh, college campuses are basically just like liberal indoctrination camps they that they're censoring conservative thought and they're they don't yeah, allow I, heard, I think i heard about this yeah basically just a ridiculous like alt-right basically jack off piece for 90 minutes and um it's got it's got ben shapiro in it it's got uh um uh jordan peterson in it it's got all all, all the favorites they play all the hits <laughs> They play all of your intolerable hits. They're trying to say that conservative thought is is censored on college campuses, but then like all these guys they talk about end up speaking at college campuses anyway. Like Ben Shapiro does, Jordan Peterson does. So it's like they're kind of like defeating their own argument. It's very weird. Yeah, I uh, I find a lot of contradictory thought often in that those <laughs> circles. Oh uh, yeah. So all right, I don't. Uh, Why won't anyone tolerate our intolerance? Why? <laughs> Why won't you tolerate our hatred? Exactly. Well, okay, I don't want to get too bogged down in um, personal politics or anything <laughs> like that. Let's get back to... Uh, Look, I'm the, I'm the most tolerant person in the world, okay? If you have a different opinion, I'd love to hear it. Email me at... 
All right, so they they ditch the movie. Uh, Carmen goes home. Marty thinks he's ruined his chances because the the date uh, was a dud. So Jay gives him some more advice. He says, you know, give her give her a gift that she needs, but she doesn't know she needs. Oh and, yeah. And Marty fantasizes about giving her <laughs> weather stripping. Uh, that's great. I actually thought that was very funny when I was a kid because I was like. Why would you give somebody weather stripping? Right. This <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Um, yeah, kind of. I think that's a very good window into how Marty thinks. Uh, he's just very practical, uh, not really like romantic at all. Uh, though as this episode goes on, we kind of see him kind of get the hint more and more that he has to be more romantic. Like this yeah. episode basically becomes kind of a mini rom-com with uh, Marty chasing the girl. And he really does it by the end. He really, he, yeah. you know, becomes the romance guy. Yeah. So we, um, so to that end, Marty shows up the next day. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to win her back. But then we see, oh no, she's on her way back to Cuba. When, when uh, she leaves and, and, and the parents are like, he's like, uh, like I was worried it was me and the parents are like, no, 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 don't worry. Yeah. It wasn't you. And then they like, he keeps insisting and they're like, okay, it was you. We were just trying to be diplomatic. That's what we do with diplomats. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, again, yeah. The like Carmen's dad, I thought he was a great character. Um, but so Marty basically chases her to, uh, the airport and he tries to get, like basically chase her through airport security and they stop him. And again, I think this shows how different the world was back then. Like airport security was so much more lax. Um, Cause she's Carmen is basically flying by herself on an international flight. And you could go to the gate to say, yeah, goodbye to yeah, there's very little security, but, um, but the, yeah, I guess they stop Marty cause it is an international flight. So they can't let him through without a, a ticket or a passport or whatever. So he gets the grand idea to stow away inside a cello case. And so this is definitely kind of, I guess like a rom-com sort of trope where he, he well, before he does that, the the thought bubble of Jay shows up. Oh yes. Telling him, son, keep going, go to her, blah, blah, blah. And then he takes off and he goes, hello, uh, advice giving head here. And then he pops the balloon and then the balloon goes flying around and it lands on the ground. And then there's this great Looney Tunes style gag where he's still in the deflated flop, top bubble on the ground talking. Ow, ow. Watch the high heels, lady. Oh no, it's the Dutch clog dancing team. And people are stepping on me. He's like, ow, ow, ow. I love that, that like goofiness. That's sort of one of those moments that I was talking about earlier where it like really gets like that Looney Tunes level of silliness, you know? So Marty ends up on the plane inside a cello case, sort of that that rom-com trope of like the guy pulling a, a ridiculous stunt to uh, to be with the girl. Um, so the, the guards like basically find him and uh, they don't really like – there's no sort of punishment or anything. They're just sort of like, oh, there's this kid here now. Well, I love it how they're like, where's the cello? And then it cuts to the bomb that picked the cello up out of the trash can. Yeah. And then it shows him playing. And then he like 
accidentally like makes a wrong note but all these people like as he's playing beautifully he's beautiful sonata all these people are throwing money in the hat and then as soon as he makes like a eh, like the wrong note everyone's like ah, and they just start taking the money away and leaving yeah. but then it goes to like later on when they ask where's the cello it cuts to like carnegie hall and it's like one night only sold out the bum, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then you know, he's just playing this beautiful music on stage. Yeah. He made it all the way to Carnegie hall. Yeah. Good for him. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we get a lot with that cello for <laughs> whatever reason. Um, uh, but yeah, so Which was basically yeah. a throwaway gag, but then they yeah. just kept heightening and heightening. Yeah. A lot of great throwaway gags on this show, like way before family guy, did it we just get the a lot of these like non sequitur like kind of one-off jokes um so that actually brings act two to a close so as act three begins we're back on the plane uh marty gives carmen a gift which ends up not being weather stripping it's uh nose clips for her glasses oh yeah that's right because it keeps slipping down yeah uh yeah we kind of see that uh throughout the episode her glasses keeps keep slipping down and she mentions that uh because of the embargo the factory that made those clips shut down and then we see the um (laughs) the airline pilot uh like struggling to keep his glasses uh in place and it's causing the plane to to dip and and he says Well, he, you know, he cries out in Spanish and we get a subtitle that says, help me patron saint of eyewear. But if you listen, he clearly (laughs) says Santa myopia, (laughs) which I thought it was funny. Oh, we missed one earlier before this. uh, Jay goes to his parents to ask for advice about this. Yeah. And the father goes, I remember my first date. And this is one of my favorite gags in the whole series. And it flashes back to Franklin younger with, uh, uh, it shows him walking down this cartoon street. It's an old school black and white and everything. It's like, "Ah, ah, 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 ah," and there's like a cow, like in a dress. (laughs) And then he's like smoking his pipe and like different colored bubbles are coming out. And then it comes back and he's like, your mother never looked better. (laughs) Yeah. it, It basically turns into like this, kind of like Fleischer Brothers cartoon world briefly, which is, yeah, definitely what we sort of envision going on in Franklin's head at, at any given moment. He's so just goofy. Yeah, uh, Franklin, probably my favorite character on the show. He gets a lot of great lines and, and gags. For sure. Like he is hands down him. And then probably close second is Duke Phillips for me. Oh, yeah. I just feel Love like Duke, Duke is so good. Sadly, not in this episode at all, but we'll get plenty of him later on in in the season and in the rest of the series. All right. So uh, Marty and Carmen make it to Cuba and we get this. uh, It just happens to be the anti 4th of July parade going on. And and I remember you mentioned this uh, when I invited you to be on the show. You mentioned the anti-America uh, character. It's one of my favorite gags. Look, here comes Uncle Sam, and he's getting pushed down by our Cuban mascot, anti-America, which is great because actually I come from a Cuban family, and America oh, is I didn't know a that. Very, oh, yeah, yeah. My parents came over in the 60s, and, and America is a very, very – Cuban name. I actually I know a couple people with that name, so I thought that was a very funny, you know, play on words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so so Uncle Sam and Auntie America are basically these characters in the uh, parade who are like on those giant stilts that you see sometimes. And and Auntie America basically it looks like 
Carmen Miranda. Like she's got that big dress and the the uh, her hair done up. She's not wearing a bunch of fruit, but it kind of looks like that same kind of. Yeah. Wait, so you didn't invite me on this podcast because I'm Cuban? <laughs> it's because I do voice I, acting? What kind of craziness? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it is it weird if I say I had no idea you were Cuban? Like, No, it's not. I get that all the time. Okay. I'm the whitest, most American Cuban that I know. So, <laughs> Okay. My family I'm, calls me the white sheep. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, all right, so then, um, so yeah, Jay went to his parents to get help looking for Marty, which is basically just an excuse for that funny gag with Franklin. So then, Oh my God. And then when Jay <laughs> goes to the airport and he's trying to get a flight and he's trying to convince the, the lady at the booth, he's like, I need, you know, I need to get on this flight. Well, only Mexican citizens and people from uh, or and people married to Mexican citizens can go to Cuba. And he's like, marry me now. And she's like, okay. But one of my favorite things is because earlier in the episode, um, someone, one of the Mexican students says, oh, like they always say that he's, you know, a mental patient. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, a callback. Yeah. So then you have like some random guy looking at like a, a broadcast of Jay Sherman giving a review and he goes, and look on the television. And everyone yeah. goes, ah, so they're freaking out in the airport. Yeah. God, I didn't even make that connection that, yeah, we get that foreshadowing, uh, at Marty's school. And then, yeah, the, the, uh, the Mexican people at the airport basically, yeah, freak out when they see Jay. And then, yeah, well, we'll get to it a little bit later. But, yeah, they basically put him in a straitjacket because <laughs> they literally think he's a mental patient. Um, yeah. All right, but before we get there, actually, we're back to uh, the parade, and we it's now revealed that Carmen's grandpa is Fidel Castro. Uh, and so we, we meet, uh, Fidel Castro. Carmen says, this is Marty who took me on my first date. And then we get the next instance of this running gag. Fidel says, oh, I remember my first date. And this is maybe my favorite <laughs> one of the episode because we flash back to the 1950s. Fidel is in a, a convertible with a girl who, um, I don't think is supposed to be Jackie Onassis. She's just a random girl, a girl in the fifties. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, um, Fidel asks, she's, he, he's like, give me a kiss. It's the fifties. And, uh, she doesn't want to cause of his big Cuban beard. And then they get rescued. <laughs> I'm basically, proud of my Cuban with scares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she gets rescued basically by JFK. Hey, the uh, lady said to leave her alone. Your country will regret this someday. Mm. <laughs> And then Nixon shows up briefly. It's like, oh, it's my five o'clock shadow, isn't it? Um, yeah, just a huge parade I just of like. I love Nixon, just in general as a character, not as a president, but as like a character. Like not yeah. only in this, but Futurama. I just think he's oh, like yeah. the funniest. I and really they, love him. They really kind of ugly him up in, in this uh, episode. He really looks like a like. He looks pretty scary. It's my five o'clock shadow, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> that that is when, yeah, that is when we reveal Jay has been tied up in a straight jacket, and uh, they say, "Well, we put our mental patients adrift at sea," and then we <laughs> we see one boat of like people just like chilling out, having a good time. Or no, I'm sorry, 
It's we people see freaking a, out. A, we see a boat full of of like crazy people, and they're and and the the guy's like, "Oh wait, no, that's the Carnival Cruise Line." And then they <laughs> show the other boat full of supposed mental patients, and it's like, "Yeah, people just chilling out, having a good time." Um, yeah, nice crack at uh, Carnival Cruise Line. <laughs> Which again is more relevant than ever these days, am I right? Huh? Oh yeah, like yeah. Uh, wasn't it a, a cruise ship that brought the first cases of COVID nineteen to America? Something like that, I think. Uh, I may be wrong, but I know that it was one of the early things. And also, just cruise ships in general. I mean, I'm not being paid to say this; they're kind of gross. Oh yeah, I, I've I've been on a, a couple cruises before, and it's yeah, they're never as good as you imagine. Like the usually the the food is is not that good and you would just end up drinking at the bar usually. And it's like, you know, you're on a on a ship. So you end up seeing the same people every day and just seeing the same things every day. And you're at sea. So there's nothing but water around you. So there's nothing and really to drinking look at. and being on a boat. It's like you're going to get sick. Oh, Even if you don't yeah. get like some weird <laughs> disease, you're probably going to get sick to your stomach. Yeah, I guess I'm lucky. I don't really get seasick, but. Yeah, the the alcohol can be a, a problem for sure because there's a lot of it, and yeah. that's usually the the best option for what to do at any given moment. All right, so Marty kind of makes one more plea to Carmen, but she says no, she's going to stay in Cuba. Um, and then we get kind of a uh, the big, I guess the the big romantic climax of their their story together. Can I kiss you goodbye? You're not supposed to ask. You're supposed to just do it. Uh, do what? You should spin me around in your arms, take me by surprise, and kiss me. I don't know. Is that kind of problematic? Like, you know, you're not supposed to ask permission. You're just supposed to go for it. Like, it's it's presented in this very cutesy, kind of childish way, but, like, there's kind of a, a bad message there, I think. I mean, yes and no. Uh... I mean, I'll be honest. I think, yes, it's problematic, especially like with the way uh, things are and we view them. But I do think, I mean, I definitely have encountered situations in my life where I've asked and people get mad about it because it's not as romantic, quote unquote, you know, it's not spontaneous. It's sort of like you're calculating this and whatever. So, you know, but at the same time, better safe than sorry. Am I right? I still ask. I still ask all the time. It's no, me. absolutely. Okay. And I, and I I'm think okay. they, I'm not the one doing that. Yeah. Okay, guys. They, they pro- possibly could have found a better way to play this. Like, like, you know, if Carmen wants someone who's more like passionate and forthright rather than someone who's just very shy and timid, like that's, fair enough that you you can say that but like the way they kind of phrase it here where she's like i just want someone just to come up and kiss me you shouldn't ask permission like yeah, yeah. that's that's not great um yeah. but uh, you know i, I think feel like that this was, was a also very in the early 90s and so people didn't really have that same i don't know like people didn't really see it quite the same no it was point. definitely a very 90s thing where like yeah, yeah you watch any rom-com from that era and it's like the the girl is like the prize she's like the thing you're working towards they're they're yeah. very kind of uh dehumanized in that way where they just become this this thing to win a prize uh, to be won as jasmine says in aladdin 
Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen Aladdin probably since it was she in says, theaters. Well, she says I'm not a prize to be won. So I feel like Aladdin was really on the forefront of this consent thing. <laughs> um, Way to go, Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Call me. You know what I'm saying? All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always, always self-promoting. I love it. Um, so... Marty does spin uh, uh, Carmen around and kiss her, and then Jay fireworks. shows up. Yeah, yeah, fireworks, fi- uh, uh, flowers bloom. This, yeah, definitely over the top moment that you would get in yeah, a flowers um, grow and bloom. Yeah, <laughs> like in a moment. It's it's actually kind of funny how like extravagant their moment is. Yeah, it's this big like rom com moment where yeah that sort of thing happens. At the uh, at the climax, where the guy and the girl finally get together, usually you'll see like like they were standing in front of a, a fountain that suddenly starts uh, blooming with water, or yeah, like like doves will fly by with like water. A, yeah. <laughs> Let's face it, all of these things are metaphors for ejaculation: the fireworks, the fountains. Oh yeah, flowers so are literally reproductive organs from plants. Yeah, so many uh, just phallic symbols all over the place um and then uh jay finally shows up um with the airline clerk i guess they're married now um (laughs) though uh like a lot of uh the women that jay ends up with on this show she does not stick around for future episodes um she does uh, say though uh I plan on divorcing you and taking half of your money. And he's like, oh, so she's basically like your mom. That is true. That is true. So I guess we're just left to assume that that happens um, between this episode and the next one. (laughs) Oh, but then Carmen also spins uh, Marty around and kisses him. So it's sort of like, I guess that's kind of, you know, it's kind of making it okay that she she practices what she preaches uh, about, you know, surprising someone with a kiss. Um, oh, and then kind of the, the, the last thing here, Jay sees Fidel or, or sorry, Fidel sees, uh, Carmen and, and, uh, Marty kissing. And he's like, children don't believe in bigotry and hatred. They don't divide the world into communist and capitalist. Maybe it's time. I Hey, who died made you El Presidente? Dad, that's Castro. <laughs> Oh, I love that. He's, I am not the gruff bear that people make me out to be. And then it cuts to him in front of a firing squad. Like Jay is just in front of a firing squad. And Castro is like, shoot the wound. Yeah. And that's how Jay ends up at this episode. He's like, you should know I gave thumbs up to the Mambo Kings. Uh, yeah. And that brings us to the and They're all credits. like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that takes us into the credits. Uh, and then... Well, the very last thing, the the ending gag that we get in all these episodes, the usher comes in and says, uh, sir, the movie's over. And he says, is the snack bar still open? So I also love it how like on the little um, after the credits, they have that little graphic for the production company. And oh, yeah. the person just goes, Shh. And then it's like, dun, 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 dun. But their shush is so aggressive. And for years, I have laughed about that. Because I have all the DVDs. I still watch the show. And every time it ends, I watch all the way through the end credits. And when that happens, I laugh. Because it's just like, why are you shushing so aggressively? Calm down. I remember The Simpsons has that same graphic. Because they're they're also Gracie films. And yeah. um, I remember that being one of the 
one of my favorite parts watching The Simpsons as a very little kid, like so young that I did not get like 99% of the jokes. But I was like, I always have to see the shush happen because uh, <laughs> I loved that. Um, cool. So that takes us to the end of the episode. Was there anything we missed that you wanted to uh, uh I mean, that's pretty much the whole... Oh, at the top, I think there was a gag. So at the beginning, there's always, in the opening credits, there's a part where he's watching a movie and it's coming attractions. And I think this one, if I remember correctly, was Cliffhanger. And it shows he's uh, holding onto the cliff and then there's somebody that he's holding onto and they're holding onto somebody else. And then there's a kid and the kid's holding onto like a cat or something and the cat's holding a mouse and the mouse is just holding a slice of cheese. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. So another just example of very exaggerated heightening right away. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think just another great movie parody that we get in a show full of them. Um, Oh, I also wanted to mention another very brief visual gag we get at Marty's school. Uh, we see that there's a, uh, a Russian kid whose dad is Gorbachev. We see Gorbachev oh, with his the, uh, his birthmark, thing. yeah, on his bald head, and we see the kid looks just like him. He's also bald with a uh, birthmark. Um, <laughs> it's got yeah. that red shit right there. What is that? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah. I guess any just general thoughts about this episode or the series? I mean, I I love the series. Uh, this is the kind of show that even though the references are like pretty dated, obviously, like it still holds up. I kind of feel like it's like Seinfeld in that respect where it's like you can still watch it now and it's still funny and it still makes me laugh out loud. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's only 23 episodes, so you could like binge the whole thing in a weekend if you wanted. Oh, yeah. And hey, if, if we weren't going through this pandemic, I'd be like, hey, come on over. Let's watch the rest of them. But... You know. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, we can't. We can't go anywhere. Um, but at least people, you know, if you don't have the DVD, you can watch it for free. It's on Crackle. Um, hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> but at least it's it's out there for people to watch, and you don't need to like buy a subscription to anything. You know, you can just uh, watch it. All right, so I guess that about does it for this episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. Uh, join us next time when we're going to do episode four, Dial M for Mother. So stick around for that. Uh, Will, anything you would like to plug? Uh... I mean, right now, I can't really say too much about the series I'm on, but I'm Will Hazza, and I'll get back to you guys in July about that. Yeah, definitely look up Will if if you're producing an animated show and you need an awesome voice actor. Um, I should also mention, just the, the way I know you, we were both on a uh, live comedy show all about the internet called Shitpost. That's right. Uh, that used to go up the first Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater. Um, but uh, we're still working on, um, you know, streaming, doing, right? Yeah, doing some streaming stuff on Twitch. I know that uh, uh, Jupiter, who runs the show, is working very hard on that. So, so yeah, look up uh, uh, Pack Theater on Twitch and look up Jupiter Like the Planet on Twitch to find that stuff. Uh, a lot of funny stuff going on. So these, these, Poor comedians who are unable to perform live. They're still, you know, God bless them. They're still finding ways to put comedy out into the world, you know, and I salute them for it. 
Just create, create, create. I got my Wacom tablet. I'm doing my own animation over here too, just for Oh, amazing. Yeah, you got to take the time. Now that we're stuck, take the time, take your resources, create stuff for fun. Yeah, I mean, that's why I started doing this podcast. Like, I always wanted to start a podcast but finally with this quarantine i have time to do it well thank you so, um thank you for bringing me on this is like one of my favorite animated shows i mean oh, i remember every gag i just love watching it over and over and just and also that i got to discuss this episode in particular the anti-america thing i've been laughing at that for years and referencing it without people knowing what the hell i was talking about I, I have to admit, I didn't even remember that because it's such a quick gag. Um, but yeah, I didn't know you were uh, Cuban either. So oh, for that, sure. that worked out nice. Trust me, no one no one does unless I tell them. They're like, <laughs> you're Italian or Russian or Armenian or I don't know. I'm like, I'm none of those. I mean, yes, all of those, whatever. Just cast me. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I am. Just make me whatever. I'm, I'll be an alien. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about being a voice actor. You can be whatever. Yeah. Uh, all right. It. Cool. So thank you again, Will, for joining me. And I hope you will join us again on the next episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow. Our theme song is by Brandon Beck. You can email the podcast at itstinkspod at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at It Stinks Pod. 